It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Franchise Focus Podcast Series on the Fantasy Points Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joe Dolan, and our long journey is coming to a close. 32 teams in 32 days, occasionally skipping a day here and there, but essentially in one month, we have a podcast for each NFL team, starting with the AFC East and now wrapping up with the NFC West. I hope you enjoyed this journey as much as I did. I hope you learned as much as I did. Getting intel on camp battles, potential sleepers, injuries, who's going to be back uh, early in training camp, who might not be back until a little bit later in the summer, contract situations, all of that has been covered. Uh, I just want to thank all of my co-hosts for scheduling these. It was not a fun job scheduling the podcast. Once I started recording them, that's when I really started to enjoy it. Scheduling and getting people all on the same page was not the most fun, but I, I, everybody who I had on this podcast was so excited to join me. And it was such a pleasant experience once I got these things scheduled that I, I really can't imagine not doing this next year, even though it was a massive stress item in my life. But I, I think the, the, the fruits of, of the labor have really borne out here uh, with all the information that we have uh, acquired throughout the Franchise Focus podcast series. We also, by the way, if you just listen to this and you're not subscribed to FantasyPoints.com, we also did an accompanying article for all 32 NFL teams in which we broke down, did a full breakdown of every player projected on those 32 teams, including John Hansen's final thoughts and how he's approaching all the teams. So I want to thank everybody for reading those articles. Tom Brawley, Ryan Heath, Jake Tribby contributing to those articles. The guys did a wonderful job. Tom Brawley also did a full betting preview for all 32 teams. Uh, The guy is just a machine, so I really hope you check that out. And finally, we launched the Fantasy Points Data Suite last week, and... To say the the reception's been great is, is is an understatement. I think the industry is enjoying it, and I think the industry is seeing the potential of the Fantasy Points data suite. Uh, if you haven't signed up for the data suite and given a look at everything that the tool can do, um, you can go and sign up for a free seven-day trial. Um, it, it will not charge your credit card for seven days, and you can decide if the data suite is something you want to add to your fantasy football research this year. It has been a big research month here with the Franchise Focus podcast series and the Fantasy Points Data Suite. I hope everybody uh, is along for the ride, and I hope everybody is ready for training camp in the preseason. That is what this series was leading into. And without further ado, here is our final division, the NFC West. Welcome as we begin our final division. In the 2023 Franchise Focus podcast series, we start the NFC West, and we're going to start it alphabetically, like we've been doing every other division, and A is at the top of the alphabet. Boy, I am well-educated. Certainly well-educated is Johnny Venerable. He is the host of the PHNX Cardinals podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Johnny Venerable. It is his second consecutive appearance on the Franchise Focus podcast. Johnny, it is a pleasure to have you on, and I got to ask you, has anybody ever told you that Johnny Venerable is a phenomenal pro wrestling name. 
They haven't. Uh, I grew up in the Attitude Era in the 90s. Uh, I haven't watched pro wrestling in a hot minute, but me no, neither. I I, I I appreciate it. Yeah, that's a pretty. It's a pretty badass name. Good nickname. But uh, Johnny, it's awesome to have you on the podcast. Thank and you. there is a lot that has changed since the last time we discussed. Uh, I yes. mean, uh, Kyler Murray's hurt. Let's th- let's start at the top. Yeah, Jonathan Gannon, new coaching staff. You've got Drew Petzing, the new offensive coordinator. What is this offense going to look like? Let's just pre- let's presume Kyler is back, and I know that's a big presumption, but let's presume he's he's back. How are we going to – do you have any idea of how this is going to compare and contrast to Cliff Kingsbury's offense? Yeah, because we got a chance. We ran down Jonathan Gannon uh, at the NFL Combine back in uh, late February, early March when we were there, my co-host, Bill Brock, and I, and, and we asked him what the offense was going to look like, cause, and he he told us, frankly, that – they're going to mirror a lot of, you would imagine, Cleveland on early downs. Last year with Jacoby Brissett, run heavy, uh, a little bit of San Francisco. They're going to be out of the eye formation on early downs, which is something that Kyler Murray, I don't think, has done probably since high school. And then on third down, they're going to look like Philadelphia-ish with Jalen Hurts and company. That They're going to take a mixture of, of all that as opposed to, to Cliff Kingsbury the 10 personnel, you know, running gun. They were in the shotgun, I think, more than any any other team. They were never under center with Kyler Murray playing quarterback. So very different, um, and they're limited, as you, your viewers and listeners probably know, on both sides of the ball. So they're going to try to slow the game down the best they can. They're going to lean on the run game, which is led by James Conner, uh, play action, Hollywood Brown. They've got a couple nice tight ends that I'm sure we'll talk about, but it it's going to be a complete evolution as to what they did with Cliff Kingsbury last year, which frankly w- w- was not good enough. I mean, Cliff, for for you know all his faults, they they would get off to fast starts offensively during the season, and they just couldn't adjust. You you guys have seen the numbers and and the analytics. November, December, January, it, it it was rough to look at. So this offense, I would I would say it's going to lend itself more to the latter half of the season as they get their their bearings up about them and. Uh, find some cadence, but I expect Kyler Murray to have success just like Jacoby Brissett and Deshaun Watson last year. So when do you expect Kyler Murray to play is the next question and the big question. Yeah, it's the biggest question of the season, and I think it, it it's what makes the season so, I, I don't know, interesting because a lot of people have already written this team off. A lot of people assume they have the, you know, the number one odd to have the, the top pick in Vegas uh, with the NFL draft next year with Caleb Williams in mind, but I, I'm I'm hearing via multiple avenues. Kyler Murray's ahead of schedule, um, and typically with an ACL tear, it's eight to ten months, leaning toward eight to nine months. Guys like uh, goodness Carson Wentz and RG three and Joe Burrow. I mean, guys come back and they play week one. That's just yeah. what what happened. And so I don't know where this false sense of of security came with Kyler Murray playing during the year. He, a lot of people have have assumed, oh, he's going to miss most of the season. I think they're just kind of connecting dots because they assume the Cardinals are, aren't going to be good. So why would Kyler Murray play? He's worked his butt off to come back, and I I expect him back no later than week five. But I think there's a there's a good chance we could see him during the first quarter of the season, week three, week four. A lot of it will be dependent on do they put him on PUP to start the year, which the earliest, if he gets put on PUP, would be to come back in week five. But I think that makes the Cardinals interesting. I don't know how many games they're going to win as a result, but I'm all for Kyler Murray over guys like Colt McCoy and Jeff Driscoll, with all due respect to them. Yeah, and Clayton Toon, also a rookie. You know, it it does raise a really interesting kind of dichotomy here, though, because this is a new coaching staff. We obviously 
you know, Steve Kime is no longer here. And you always hear the old adage, oh, they didn't pick Kyler Murray. And they're lined as the worst team in football right now. So it's a really interesting. I like I haven't done a vibe check uh for a whole lot of teams um since I, I did kind of the NFC North where, where the vibes are really important to me. What's the vibes of the Cardinal fan base? Is there like a hey, I want Kyler to come out there and ball or is there a faction of the fan base that's like, tank for Caleb, baby. I'm ready for a new beginning. What? What? That, that that's kind of an interesting battle that I, that I feel is like brewing. I think it's 50-50 right now. Even split until we get to the season. Then everybody wants to watch their team win on Sundays early, early in the fall. And I, I think Kyler Murray will be will be lauded and rooted for as he should be when he comes back by this by this underrated Phoenix football fan base. Um, and I think Cardinal fans are much more patient now that Steve Kime is, is no longer their general manager because Monty Austin Ford coming from Tennessee and the new England Patriots have stripped. He stripped this roster down. He stole Houston's one next year. They're setting the Cardinals up for success. Now they have to follow through. They have to make the right selections in the draft. They have to sign the right free agents, but they're on pace right now. hundred million dollars to spend next off season, multiple top picks, whether that's with Kyler Murray or not. I mean, they're, they're saying and doing all the right things, but Joe, to your point, like, I think initially there was a lot of speculation for tanking with this team. They they weren't aggressive in free agency. They have a lot of young players, but I think it's more so they're, they're trying to see who's worth keeping from the prior regime. Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons and company are a couple names that come to mind. Kyle Murray comes back though and plays, which I expect him to within the first four to six weeks. Like they're not going to be the worst team in football. They're, they might right. be bad. They might be top 10, but to, to be the number one picking team, I mean, for 17 weeks, you have to be borderline unwatchable. Um, I think the Bears were an outlier last year, and I think purposely maybe threw a couple games toward the end of the year. They were a fun, bad team. I think the Cardinals have a chance to be that, and then some. They have a fourth-place schedule. They play the NFC you know, hierarchy of quarterbacks, which I would take Kyler Murray in the top three to five easily uh, of, of that group. So if Kyler Murray comes back and looks like Kyler Murray of old, like midway through the season, they're not going to be picking one. It, it will just be predicated on – what, what's Houston do if they got the number one pick through Houston, which, I mean, C.J. Stroud would have to go down. D'Amico Ryans would have to be a disaster for that to happen. I just don't think they're going to be in a position to draft Caleb Williams anymore, yeah. especially with this Kyler Murray return seeming so imminent. If you would have asked me three months ago when the talk was, let's hold him out till Thanksgiving, then it's like, why even bring him back at all? And they're purposely trying to get Caleb Williams. But the fan base, I think it will be a short memory because they – I just don't think they're going to be bad enough to be the first pick of, of the draft next year. You know, and that, that always raises the interesting point because, you know, Carolina traded up from, I believe it was seven this year using a couple yeah. of first round picks. And then of course, DJ Moore. So I, I, you know, I look at it like Kyler Murray's incentive to it, to play well is even if he's not in Arizona next year, if he plays well, heck, even if he doesn't play well, somebody's going to look at his pedigree and say, this guy will take on the look. Look what happened yeah. with Carson Wentz. You know, like Wentz. Wentz got traded twice after bad seasons. So I feel like Kyler has that incentive because he is on the big contract to get back, play, and say, "Hey, if it's not going to be here, I'm going to show another team what I can do." Yeah, and I think this regime will draft quarterbacks mid round, late rounds every year. But I mean, they're paying Kyler Murray a premium. They went to his statue, Heisman statue unveiling in Oklahoma. The entire front office, the entire coaching staff, and. Like, I genuinely believe Jonathan Gannon likes Kyler Murray and is going to make it work with Kyler Murray. 
Um, and we'll just have to see the partnership unfold. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray had a really good relationship to start out, and it, it yeah. fizzled, I think, in large part because I think Kyler lost some respect for Cliff and, and saw that, again, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and Pete Carroll, just he needed an upgrade. And so I think let's give Kyler Murray the benefit of the doubt now with uh, what I think is a serious coaching staff in a division that you have to have one or you'll get undressed every year. Let's see if they match Kyler Murray's level of play and let's see if the, the front office can support him with a, a cast that has quality offensive linemen and, and big-bodied receivers. Kyler Murray was asked to carry this franchise the moment he got there, and I think he's he's held up his end of the bargain. But when he needed the franchise to match his le- level of excellence, they failed him. And so, yeah. and then subsequently, he's been taking a lot of arrows for the last 18-plus months. It'll be interesting to see now, you know, using that fuel to the fire, I, I think it's going to lead to some good results. So let's talk, uh, switch to some other players here, um, and let's talk about James Conner. Obviously, he's had injury problems on his own, but I look at the backfield behind him, and there's not a lot of depth. You know, Keontae Ingram didn't do a whole lot as a rookie. Um, I thought Corey Clement was a player who showed a lot of promise early in his career in Philadelphia, but then injuries caught up with him. What's your outlook for James Conner, and do you expect him to be like a 70 75% of the snaps kind of guy in this backfield? Yes, because they're paying him eight figures because they love his leadership, his mentality. I, Joe, I think is, this is his last year with the Cardinals, but I think he could have a 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns just kind of by default. Drew Petsing did a masterful job last year with, you know, of course, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, which, by the way, the latter is still a free agent. It's a name to watch for this team if they get into training camp. I think the Cardinals are going to back into – signing a, a low-priced veteran of, of sorts, a, a name people recognize because this running back market is kind of dead on arrival, unfortunately, for the position. They could be the benefactor of that. But as as far as James, James Conner goes, I, the offensive line is, is an unknown, but I think this is the best tackle depth they've had in some time. If they can just get average play from their interior, James is going to have a nice season. James is somebody that they're going to lean on health withstanding if he goes down then all bets are off but he's somebody i'd feel comfortable from a fantasy perspective taking within the first three rounds you'll just i don't see him ever not having 20 touches in a game they just don't have enough elements especially before kyler murray comes back to supplement offensive touches last year in the only game that he had i think like 20 the highest carry amount that he had in the game he went for 100 yards so he's still that type of player um and i expect him to be productive this season the wide receiver group is obviously thin. Um, there's been some injury problems here following the release of DeAndre Hopkins, and he had injury problems himself, yeah. you know. Um, Marquise Brown is the lead guy, and I think you're well aware of how much his targets went up in games DeAndre Hopkins missed last year. Kyler Murray, you know, looked for him. What's his health status coming off the foot? Um, do you anticipate he uh, being able to get into camp and really kind of be that alpha that they don't have anywhere else? Yeah. He's 100% bought in. He's in a contract year. That helps. He's been in everything this offseason with the new regime. OTAs, minicamp. Uh, I think he's poised for a 1,000-yard season. Now, what that looks like, I don't know. It's hard not. If you're going to get the targets he gets, even in an offense that may not have Kyler Murray for a couple weeks, he, he's going to sleepwalk his way, health permitting, to 1,000 yards. He was on pace last year for 1,300 yards with Kyler Murray, with Colt McCoy, uh, before going down against Seattle, especially now with DeAndre Hopkins not playing. Uh, the Cardinals are going to be behind in some games. And so that's going to lead them to to Hollywood Brown seeing a, a big jump in production. I would also say, too, some interesting names behind him. They took Michael Wilson, Stanford receiver in the yeah. third round, who I, I get it. They, it's been shells and and not real football this offseason. He's looked fantastic. He's He was a player that couldn't stay healthy, 
for a couple fluke reasons at Stanford, but big bodied receiver, they don't have enough of those. And this is an offense, Joe, that, that is going to translate to big bodied receivers over time. No Cleveland receiver last year under Drew Petzing was under six foot. And so the Cardinals under Steve Kime, for whatever reason, pairing him with a 5'10 quarterback, went undersized receiver more often than not. Kyler Murray, I, I think, will lean towards some of these bigger targets. Um, Zach Pascal comes over from uh, Indianapolis, spent some time in Philadelphia. I think he'll be a nice red zone option. Rondell Moore is kind of the, the wild card of that group. Uh, he's, he's a name. People remember him from Purdue. He's a second-round pick. It's a make-or-break year for him in Arizona. If, if he's not productive, I could, I could see him being shipped off next offseason. Yeah. I, I want to start. I definitely want to talk about some of these lower-end receivers. Let's start with Rondell Moore since you just br- uh, brought him up. Yeah. Did Cliff Kingsbury kind of struggle? To, I, you know he was he's throughout his career has been one of the lowest average depth of target receivers in the entire NFL. Yeah. Do you think Kingsbury struggled to figure out a way to use him, or did Moore just not develop in a way where his his usage could be expanded? I think it's probably 70-30 on Cliff, 30% on Rondell Moore, who's not been able to stay healthy, and that's the biggest thing is you have to be able to stay healthy. I mean, Greg Dorch has been really productive in this offense, and they're almost identical in stature and size. And Greg Dortch was one of the best receivers in the NFL last year in separating. Rondell, though, his usage under Cliff Kingsbury was malpractice. It, it was egregious. Um, they would not use him as a traditional wide receiver, putting him in the slot, moving him around. I mean, it was too much horizontal. I think Cliff Kingsbury honestly thought he'd be able to just throw him the ball behind the line of scrimmage and let some. I mean, I'm five, six and a half. We're the same size. We're the same height, at least. <laughs> Um, and so it's just it's, this is a man's game in the NFL. You got to be able to scheme players open. But I, you can watch what he did against Minnesota last year. A nice catch and run. He had he had a nice end of the season. Injuries notwithstanding, I just I don't know what you draft him to kind of be an outlier because if he succeeds, it's like well he's Steve Smith, but there's only one Steve Smith, and he played much bigger than his physical stature. So I mean, as as harsh of a reality as this, and our listeners at PHNX Cardinals know this, I'm betting on him not to succeed in Arizona. I just I think too much time has passed. He hasn't been able to stay healthy dating back to Purdue 2018. So I, I just think he's just going to be a, a rotational player. Uh, and I hope I'm proven wrong. Great person. had a chance to interview him during Super Bowl week. Great human being. But just it's the reality of the situation right now. Um, Michael Wilson has been a receiver. First and foremost, our guys were down at the Senior Bowl. I don't know if yeah. you were there, but our yeah. guys were down at the Senior Bowl. He was the standout receiver of the week in, mm-hmm. in Mobile. I have been making him... Uh, I've been making a point of it on my underdog best ball drafts. He has been my final round pick so many times for nice. all the reasons that you said. What, what other player on this team, in theory, can give them what Michael Wilson can give them? I think the answer is zero players on this team can give them what even I don't, I don't. I'm not even trying to say ideally, but let's just say Michael Wilson comes out and has a decent rookie season. I yep. do view him as a player, even in a decent rookie season, who gives them way something way different than anybody else on this roster. Yeah, I think injuries are the only thing that can stop him because he's polished. I mean, you saw his route running. You saw his ability go up and over corners. I think Zach Pascal is the only other name to watch in terms of a big body receiver, but that's what they want to move toward. I mean, certainly they would draft Caleb Williams if given the chance next spring. Nobody on the roster would behoove them them from doing that. But I I remember when they took him, we were doing our draft show, and it was a little bit of a befuddle because, number one, they've taken so many receivers that that haven't worked out, and we're going to do this again, injury guy, and then you watch the tape and you you watch his his explosiveness. And then to see – it's one thing to do it at the college level, but then, again, in shells this offseason to do it against pros, veterans – this offseason, 
and you hear the whispers, hey, this this kid's the real deal. I, I think I think a nice year for Michael Wilson, 500 plus yards, 50 plus catches, a bunch of targets, um, because I think it's coming. If he if to your point, Joe, if he's healthy, he will play. That will be the biggest thing. Whereas like Rondell Moore was not drafted by this regime. If he, if he's healthy, he'll be active. But but what does that look like? I know what Michael Wilson looks like. He's an ex or yeah. an, he's an outside receiver, and they don't have enough of them. And you can make the argument, I, I think a pretty easy argument, that Greg Dorch has been better at being Rondale Moore than Rondale Moore's been 100%. at being Rondale Moore. Not, not even close. Not yeah. even close. Greg, to me, was was stripped of playing time egregiously by Cliff Kingsbury last year because they had an investment in Rondale Moore. Greg Dorch put up 100 yards receiving against the 49ers. He, he, I, I saw him go down so many times. And by go down, I mean get lit up during training camp of the preseason. You would assume, oh, he's going to be out, comes back the next play. It's just uh, everything you want from an undrafted player. And again, somebody that deserves targets and time. They tendered him this this offseason. This new regime did. So they like him enough. He's going to come back. He'll he'll be jack of all trades, receive, uh, punt returner, kick returner. We'll get time offensively. Um, easy player to root for and somebody that I hope sticks around in Arizona for a long time. Uh, Zach Ertz, obviously, is still on this roster. He got hurt last year. Yeah. Even before he got hurt, never a player who was going to win with his explosiveness and athleticism entirely on his smarts and, and savvy. What's the outlook for Zach Ertz? Is he healthy? Um, is he a player that maybe if he somehow is productive in the first half of the season, they can move by the deadline? What 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 is the outlook here? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I s- spoke with him during uh, Super Bowl media week, and his goal was to be ready week one. I think he'll do some light stuff in the early portion of camp. I don't think he'll start the season on PUP. It could be a week-to-week thing, um, but he's making a lot of money just like James Conner. He's got a really close relationship with Jonathan Gannon, and I think that's what people don't know or emphasize enough. They were in Philadelphia together, um, and they they love what he brings off the field just like James Conner. So I could definitely see it be a year where he's on the team because they want to instill that culture. I mean, they'll pay Zach Ertz and James Conner, some might consider overpay salaries this year, to ingratiate and develop the culture that they want, yeah. and they'll tell DeAndre Hopkins – you know, you know, eat grass and we'll pay $21 million to go away. And I love the hop, but that that's what the Cardinals did. That's what Austin Ford and Gannon did. So, um, and they have the cash to be able to overpay these guys this year, but I absolutely think Ertz is a movable player. If he, if he shows that he's, he's productive and healthy, I just don't know if he's going to have that opportunity with the player. I know we're going to talk about. Yeah. So I want to discuss the offensive line here because it is, it is a line that the, the Cardinals have made investments into, um, they go out. Uh, they signed Elijah Wilkinson this offseason. They uh, and then obviously, of course, the big the big investment was Paris Johnson. Uh, what's mm-hmm. the outlook for the offensive line? I know that's been kind of a bugaboo in Arizona the last number of years. I think. I mean, it'll probably struggle early and hopefully find their footing mid to late season. Um, I, I mentioned this. This is the best tackle depth that they've had maybe in my adult life. They've got four capable tackles. DJ Humphreys. They moved all of his guaranteed money to this year, and they're telling DJ Humphreys who they like. Play, play, play well, and we'll keep you around. If not, you're going to hit free agency next next offseason. So he's motivated. He's in good shape. Uh, his his back was a bugaboo last year and looks like it's been healed to some degree. But, yeah, the, the showstopper is is the sixth overall pick, Paris Johnson Jr., who they would have taken at, at three, Joe. They were gonna they were prepared to take him, traded down, then traded back up in front of a couple tackle needy teams. Um, he's a freak show. A lot of people – a lot of people projected him. Well, he's going to play guard the first year. Yeah. They, they've not screwed around, and I commend them for that. This is a rebuilding team. They said, no, 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 you're going to play your your natural position at, at tackle. We've had his offensive line coach on our show before. He's just he's a generational type of prospect um, that I think at, at 
worst is going to be a 10-year player for the Cardinals. And then Josh Jones and Kelvin Beecham back up both of those players. The interior, of course, is, is the issue. Will Hernandez was playing good football for them, the ex-Giant last year before he went down. He's their right guard. It's left guard and center. If this team's going to struggle, that, that's going to be it. They brought in Yelda Froldholt from Cleveland, familiarity with Drew Petzing. He He's looked okay, but I I do I would not discount them adding the center during this free agency training camp period. Got, watch guys who are cut. Watch Ben Jones, who was in Tennessee with Monty Austin Ford, if he's healthy. Left guard is just an open crapshoot. Sh- you mentioned Wilkinson. I John Gaines, who was a player out of UCLA, who tested really well, was their fourth he's rounder. Yep. Yeah, in a perfect world, he would win the job. That's asking a lot, though. Um, so I think a lot of us thought they would take advantage of this strong center class. They did not, at least not to the to the untrained eye. Maybe Gaines plays some center. He was snapping the ball a little bit during the offseason, but they cannot rebuild this line in one singular offseason. I think that's what they told you with their selection. So trying to band-aid the interior, hopefully it doesn't lead to guys going down. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I thought it was interesting you mentioned that they would have taken Paris Johnson at three. And I, I yeah. think the insight there is, of course, you know, like I, I believe that, that that's the truth. They're always going to say, oh, you know, we love this player and you traded down and got him anyway. But I do think that that points to where the head of the organization is right now, right? Yeah. We're not going to make the sexy pick. We think we're going to we're going to start in the trenches. We're going to start on the offensive line. If we can trade down and get him, so be it. If not, we're going to take the guy who we think sets us better for the future. And, and I think that's probably refreshing for Cardinal fans following the Steve Kime era. Yeah, because it was all sex appeal and guys showstopper tweener linebackers, undersized receivers. I mean, with, I, again, I knock on Isaiah Simmons a lot, not the, yeah. the person, but the player, because I didn't see an outlook for him to have immediate success with the Cardinals. And it's been I've been proven right on that. And they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. They're moving Zayvon Collins from inside linebacker to pass rusher this offseason. So, I mean, they're they're cleaning up the mess of Steve Kime, who, I mean, he he was by default the most successful GM they've ever had. But how much of that was was credited Bruce Arians and, and Carson Palmer and Kyler Murray? I would say a, a, a lot. So they they have not drafted well for for ten plus years, and so they're trying to get back to basics. And and you can't go wrong with a uh, you know blue chip position at tackle from a blue chip yeah. program, Ohio State. They're just their bus rate has been so high because they've gotten cute. Andy Isabella, UMass, they they thought after drafting David Johnson and and John Brown, they could go small school every other year. It just yep. hasn't been the case. And then they botched Hassan Reddick, letting him leave and playing him out of position for a couple of years. They just they're they are finally getting back to the philosophy of taking big time prospects from from big universities and they know exactly what to do with them every single one of their draft picks you can identify, like B. Joe Jolari in the second round will play the Hassan Reddick role under Jonathan Gannon. That's easy to identify. Paris Johnson, they're not going to screw around. They're playing him a tackle, not guard. I mean, those are just marquee positions that you have to hit on to be able to have any kind of sustained success in the NFL. So, uh, Johnny, I've been wrapping up all these podcasts um, by asking some uh, my guests, somebody on the roster, this being the Cardinals roster, might be under the radar for the average fantasy player. Who do you think that contributor could be on offense for the Arizona Cardinals this year? Yeah, I alluded to it, and I do think one of the Steve Kime draft picks that, that he'll eventually get credit for, Trey McBride, second-round tight end last year out of Colorado State and was a phenom, was the best tight end collegiately in 2021 during the college football season and was really hampered by – I would say coaching development last year caught on the second half after Zach Ertz went down, saw a lot of targets. And I, I think, again, we talked about a Joe off air. It's a, it's a tight end epidemic a little bit with, with regard to fantasy football. 
I think he's going to be a sure thing for a lot of targets. I think he's going to sleepwalk his way 500 plus yards. I think you could see a lot of targets in the red zone. I do not think that Zach Ertz will have the, the, the preference over him to begin camp because he's going to be hurt. Trey McBride took all the first team reps this entire offseason. Drew Petzing, go look what he did with the tight ends in, in Cleveland last year. David Njoku, year again, is, is, is he ever going to be a thousand yard receiver? Probably not, but I mean, six, 700 yards, I think is, is realistic these next couple of years with a handful of plus of touchdowns. He was a phenom at Colorado state. I mean, he was an unbelievable receiver and something that I think is going to translate well. Um, and yeah, he, he's somebody that under the radar outside of the Hollywoods and James Connors that I would identify as a sleeper for this team. His name is Johnny Venerable. He is the host of the PHNX Cardinals podcast at Johnny Venerable on Twitter. Johnny, we had a lot to talk about with the Cardinals, and I'm going to venture a guess when I'm doing this podcast next year, we're going to have quite a lot to talk about with the Cardinals as well. Uncertain but exciting times for the Cardinals. I, I kind of view this as. Absolutely. Yeah. When will Kyler Murray be back? What does Jonathan Gannon's team look like? And, and some of these young players, who's going to pop for this team? Yeah, it, it's a transition year, but the best possible kind. So I, I got to be honest, I'm a uniform junkie. Um, I thought the Cardinals were in dire need of an update. Uh, I, I think most Cardinal fans would, would agree with that. Uh, what What's the new uniform rating from you? I, I personally, I think the whites are way better than the reds, but I'll, I'll I agree with I'll, that. I'll, yeah. And a lot of people like the black. They haven't made the black for sale yet. They want the red and the white to sell well. I think, I mean, for me, I was clamoring for it for years. I asked Monty Austin for it this offseason at the Combine, where the uniforms, Cardinals played tongue-in-cheek, give them credit. They finally did it. These are a throwback, I think, to a little bit of the 90s and the 70s, which is the best possible uniform. Get the piping out of here. Singular color. I think the red will be better if they change it to the white pants, which they can do at any point. At any point, yeah. Uh, any point uh the helmet look i love the white helmet i'm a sucker for that so i'm gonna give it an 8 out of 10 that's a homerish score but man oh man i i'm very much of the mindset the uniforms they rocked before this were the worst in the nfl so uh it's an easy layup they kept it simple they didn't go flashy uh there was rumors they were going to do like an oregon ducks thing they didn't do that so they will be aesthetically pleasing this fall because i think a lot of people that was went under the radar week one against the commanders they'll be in that those white jerseys i, I think that'll pop for people yeah. so uh it'll be uh, an aesthetically pleasing at least from a clothing standpoint it's going to be a great uniform year across the nfl with all the new throwbacks johnny venerable thank you so much for joining me on the franchise focus podcast i hope to talk to you before next year but if, if we don't talk before next year get prepared because there's going to be a lot to talk about then as well uh, come by anytime thanks for having me joe Three more podcasts left on the Franchise Focus podcast series. We are going to talk the rest of the NFC West. I can't believe it's almost over, but it's training camp time. It's fantasy football time. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.